Well, folks, um, we're going to continue with our uh, Addicted To series uh, as we, um, we started, well, really a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? But um, uh, week uh, two this week. All right. Well, I don't want um, to blow my own trumpet, but um, that means for you young people, that means I don't want to brag, right? That's what blow your own trumpet means. Um, but I was the winner of the under-14s inaugural winner of the Warwick Judd Memorial Trophy for the under-14s athletics when I was at school. Now, hold your applause. It's okay. I'm, you know, I'm excited still. But my, um, my prize was a beer mug. A beer mug. For under-14s. Yep, I was 13 years of age. I got a beer mug. Now, what's quite funny, I still have my Warwick Judd Memorial Trophy. I think I do it somewhere around. Um, and I, well, when I was able to, I drank beer from it. But at 13 years of age. Now, what does that tell us about the world we live in? As we think about uh, alcohol today in our Addicted To series, what does that tell us? Homer Simpson once said, Homer, no function beer well without. I had to read that. <laughs> I, um, I think the beer ads would have to be hands down the best ads on TV. Uh, like many others, I grew up singing, you can get it riding, you can get it sliding, you can feel it coming on about four. A hard-earned thirst needs a big cold beer and the best cold beer is Vic, Victorian bitter. You can get it walking, you can get it talking, you can get it working a plough. As a matter of fact, I've got it now. Remember that? Come on. I actually, on one of those ads, the whole series of them, but there was one that showed a preacher preaching up a storm with his, with his clerical collar on and he was sweating it out, you know. And then I can imagine, you know, he was looking forward to his VB over morning tea. Um, <laughs> so alcohol, uh, and a lot of it, sometimes all at once, is very much part of the Australian culture that we live in. Uh, we are a nation of drinkers. Now, that means there is a great need for Christians to strive for a comprehensive understanding of what God tells us in his word about alcohol and its place in the Christian life. How are we to think Christianly about alcohol and the addiction to alcohol, which is commonplace in Australian society? How, how are we to do that? And in some ways, it's not an easy discussion because we all bring some sort of baggage to the table. Uh, there's denominational influences, there's family, there's uh, personal history and so on. So it means patience, it means a non-judgmental attitude is a must. And again, friends, let me just say, like last week, if, if you'd like to talk further uh, because today brings up some personal challenges for you um, or, or today is distressing in any way, I want to encourage you to talk to a Christian friend uh, or come and talk to me, I would love to walk with you. So here's our plan. Uh, you can see in your outline there that you got in your bulletin. Um, there's a few bulletins floating around the room. Uh, we still leave them out in the seats for you to come and grab. Uh, have that open in front of you. We're going to spend some time in 1 Peter 2 first, trying to get our heads around the biblical framework, and then we'll look uh, carefully at the boundaries that God's put in place 
regarding alcohol. And finally, we'll try to apply all the above to our relationships. Once again, as a follow along the outline, I encourage you to write some notes down just to help you to focus and maybe you want to write a, write a note down to ask a question at the end or, or make a comment, a word of encouragement, that sort of thing too. Um, why don't we pray as we sort of begin our time? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us today. Uh, we know today may will open up um, some things that, that are challenging for us. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in us and comfort us and uh, hear us, uh, help us to, uh, to hear your word and to put it into practice. Um, Lord, thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Well, Peter is addressing Christians, God's elect. He calls them that right at the beginning of chapter 1. Uh, who are called to live holy lives in the light of their living hope that can never crack, spoil or fade, uh, and in the light of their redemption, that God has rescued them, he's freed them from the, the consequences of sin by Jesus' death on the cross for them. And in verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which up on the screen there, Christians are described as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now, in verses 11 and 12, I didn't put that up on the screen, sorry about that, and you, you, you read it if you'd want to on, on, in your Bibles, but in verses 11 and 12, the next couple of verses, because of what they are, he urges them to do two things, to live as aliens and strangers in the world, and two, to live such good lives that non-believers would see their good deeds, and then they would glorify God. It's really quite extraordinary when you think about it, that People will see our good deeds and glorify God as a response. So uh, Peter writes with those two things in mind, following uh, those, two, those uh, couple verses. Now the language Peter is using is quite significant. He's deliberately echoing Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. So here's the Lord talking to the, 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 um, uh, the Israelites. Now if you obey me, me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you'll be my treasured possession. Sound familiar, doesn't it? Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So you remember, if you remember your Old, Old Testament story, that God had just redeemed, he'd just rescued Israel in the, in the Exodus from Egypt. And then at Mount Sinai, he gave them the law and he said, now that I've saved you, well, I want you to live like this. The order is important. Now that I've saved you, live like this. Obedience wasn't an expression of their love of God in saving them. Then he led them out of the promised land, led them, sorry, into the promised land, God had promised way back with Abraham, to live smack bang in the middle of a pagan world. And he said, live that holy life and when other nations look at you, well, they'll, they'll glorify God, they'll give thanks for God also. Israel's relationship with God was to be their witness to the nations around them. Now, let's jump back to 1 Peter again. 1 Peter, the apostle, takes up that language of Exodus, in Exodus 19, and he applies it to Christians. Because they are now, through the saving death of God's Son, 
the people of God, God's special possession. Like the Israelites, we are aliens and strangers in the world because we don't belong to the world, using Jesus' words in John 15. Our role in the world is also similar to Israel's role, to live lives of trust and obedience to God, proclaiming or declaring his praises, and in so doing, the world would give thanks to God, would glorify God. Okay, so this is crucial in this question of alcohol. Let me tell you why. Because this right framework will help guard us against two extremes. So here's the first extreme that this framework, this biblical framework, will help guard us against. The first one is what what I've just called isolation extreme. Cutting ourselves off from the world around us. This extreme, for example, leads us to cutting ourselves off from media, uh, certain schools even, or or socialising with people who aren't Christians. It drives us to seclusion. But God didn't put... God didn't keep Israel in the desert, did he? No, no, he put them smack bang in the middle of pagan lands uh, to live holy lives. So in the same way, followers of Jesus are here to witness to our world. Jesus has placed us in the world to testify about him, or as 1 Peter says, uh, declare his praises. You can't do that if you're living in isolation. So that's the first uh, extreme that we want to avoid and that biblical framework helps us to avoid. The other extreme is at the other end, this our biblical framework helps us to avoid, that other extreme, other end of the scale, I've just called immersion. So immersion in the world, nothing to do with baptism, it's okay. Um, so in other words, I'm in the world, so I should live like how the world lives. You know, when in Rome, right? But this though, it actually drives us toward in- invisibility. And if we're called to be holy, set apart, our lives will be markedly different from the world around us. Being a Christian means you're different. The difference in who we are will evidence itself in what we say and what we do. I'll say that again. The difference in who we are will evidence itself in what we say and what we do. In the end, it's simply a question of who we belong to. We belong to Jesus or do we belong to the world? The answer to that will make an enormous difference on how we live. Okay, so there's our biblical framework, right? I hope you've sort of got that in your head. It revolves mostly around 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2. Let's now use that and consider this subject of alcohol. Uh, Let's get to these boundary markers. The following verses we'll look at Uh, mark the scriptural boundaries in regards to alcohol. But here's what we're going to notice. What we'll notice is that there's freedom to move within those boundaries. So bear with me. It's more like a football game than a gymnastics routine. Hmm. Let's work that out. See, in a football game, there are boundaries. There are sidelines, for example. But there's freedom to move within so you can enjoy the game as it's been created. This is different to a gymnastics routine. I could demonstrate one now for you, but there'll be all sorts of problems. I know some of you want that. But in a gymnastics routine, where there are also boundaries, 
but there is not freedom to move within them. You must stick to the routine given. What we notice with the biblical boundaries in regards to alcohol is that there are boundaries, but there is freedom to move within those boundaries. So we ought then to be careful not to treat the discussion around alcohol like a gymnastics routine. No freedom, all rules. See the difference? What we'll see is the Bible does not say that Christians should not drink alcohol, nor does it say that they should. It's not forbidden, nor is it compulsory. It's a matter of choice, and this is week one of our series, it's a matter of wisdom. So we don't judge people or look down on them if they decide to drink or not drink. What we realise is that it's a matter of freedom. So, let's have a look at a few of these uh, key passages. Here's the first one, um, and I've got the references on your, um, on your outline. Psalm 104, verse 14 15. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. It's a wonderful psalm. It's clear that wine here is a blessing of God's good creation. At the end of the psalm, the psalmist praises God uh, and give thanks uh, to God for, for his creation. Proverbs 31, we won't read it all through, this is the one that Alex read for us. Uh, Proverbs 31, 1 to 9. But what we ought to note is, um, got a bit there, up, up in front. What we ought to note is what King Lemuel says about the type of lifestyle his mother warns him of in verses 3, 4 and 5. That is, drinking wine and craving beer. The argument is about the moderate turning into the immoderate. Too much, right? It's pretty clear. But then it's interesting to note in verses 6 and 7 that for those in anguish or those who are perishing, I think it means dying, beer and wine has its place. A bit like Paul's advice to Timothy to take a little wine as it's good for his stomach, from 1 Timothy. So alcohol may be for some, but verse 4, not for the king, someone with such responsibility. So alcohol is for some, but not for all. Okay, what about 1 Thessalonians 5, 7 and 8? Uh, for those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So Christians belong to the day. They don't belong to the night. They don't belong to the darkness God's people, a holy nation, they don't belong to the darkness of the night. That's the darkness of the night is characterised by, by sinfulness, it's characterised by a lack of self-control, such as drunkenness. So drunkenness is the opposite of self-control. So here's our four boundary markers. Right, wine is a blessing, first one, part of God's good creation. Second, but it isn't for everyone. Uh, drunkenness is sinful, and self-control is commanded. So like the football game, within these boundaries, there is freedom to move. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of wisdom. And that's where we head now. We head now down to the path of wisdom. Let's apply that to our relationships. Let's first apply it to our relationship with, with God, our Father. If you're a, a Christian person, one of the wonderful things of being a Christian is that we call God our Father. So as children of God... Called to be holy, 
chosen by God, remember the biblical framework, uh, with a living hope, an inheritance coming of heaven, what should we take into account? Well, here's the first thing. Know yourself well. Know yourself well. Alcohol is a depressant and it's addictive. So if you are prone to depression, then think very carefully about consuming a depressant. If you already have difficulty with self-control, depression and addiction, well, then, then it's really better not to drink at all. If you're someone who's easily stressed or desiring more confidence and think there's a possibility that this could drive you to depend on alcohol, then you're better off without it. Uh, be careful with the I can only relax with a glass of wine attitude, which is a common attitude. Uh, it's a form of addiction, isn't it, really? That's the opposite of self-control. Uh, inability to stop. That's how we defined self-control a couple of weeks back. And remember, nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to drink. Worth remembering, isn't it? But friends, if you're struggling with alcohol, know that God is a God of forgiveness. So remember our three points about overcoming addiction a couple of weeks back. Uh, or last week, I should say. One, practice repentance. That's the first one. Which means admitting our problem. We practice repentance, means admitting our problem to God. We've actually done it in the service today. We've, we've, we've said, I'm sorry, God, for my sin. And, uh, and we've heard words of grace and words of encouragement. So that's the first thing, admitting our practicing repentance and then turning the other way, going the way that God wants us to live. Remember the second was um, hold on to grace, that God's a God of forgiveness and mercy. And the third is commit to church, a caring community. So, know yourself well, know where we fall and where we need help and know the mercy of God. Second, try to work out whether you have a predisposition to alcohol, uh, physical, psychological or emotional. This is hard to work out until it's too late, <laughs> unfortunately. It is, isn't it? It's a hard thing to do, to, to work out whether you have a predisposition towards it. But spend some time thinking and talking about it. Uh, turn your ear to wisdom listen to sound advice from friends and family. Often issues with alcohol or addiction to alcohol runs in families, which of course challenges us mums and dads and grandparents too to be extremely careful about the example we set our children. Uh, drinking alcohol may be okay for you, but it, it doesn't necessarily follow that it will be okay for your children. What we don't want to do as parents is to be responsible for introducing your children to something that, that, that they may not be able to handle. And if you think your children don't notice, know this, they see everything. <laughs> like most things, talk to your children. That's what we do in our family. Um, we talk to them about alcohol. Uh, we try to be a good example as well. But I, I wrote in my notes, have that conversation. That's wrong. Have those conversations you get lots of conversations about it. Okay, let's move on to, secondly, our relationship with our Christian brothers and sisters. I think um, Romans 14 is a key passage here. A key aspect of Paul's argument is summed up in verse 21, but let's pick things up from verse 19. It's up on the screen. Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification or encouragement. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food, all food is clean, 
but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. Now, this probably needs a whole sermon on this passage. I wish we had a bit more time to do that. Um, Maybe at home you might want to do that. But essentially, we're told here not to drink if it causes our brother or sister to stumble, to, to, to struggle in their relationship with God because of what we might do. Uh, if they have hang-ups about it for whatever reason, then don't drink in front of them, don't drink with them. Pretty simple. Create environments where temptation is lessened or perhaps even non-existent. Don't cause them to stumble. It's a pretty clear word in the end and God's pretty serious about it. We must not get things muddled. Uh, biblical freedom, remember, within the boundaries, the football field, is never about my rights. It's never about my rights. It's always about serving one another in love. When you want to, go, when you want to define wisdom and you want to define God's, uh, what, what really ethics in the Bible comes down to, morality in the Bible, how we should live, what does it come down to? It always comes down to love. It's never about my rights. It's about love, serving one another in love. So, friends, when it comes to our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, you may, it might be a good thing for you to set up a, a, a relationship of accountability. Galatians 6 verse 1 tells us that if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, so mature and, and, and growing in Christ, you should restore him gently. Uh, pray for those sort of relationships. That's at the heart of wisdom, isn't it? Church, a caring community. Okay, third uh, aspect, as we've been talking about uh, our applying these relationships, is our relationships with the world, uh, non-believers. We need to remember our biblical framework. Uh, we are set apart, aliens and strangers in the world, different. In John 15, Jesus tells his disciples that the world will hate his followers because they don't belong to the world. They bear the name of Jesus, plain and simple. So we are in the world, but we don't belong to the world. We belong to Jesus, so we must not conform to the world. So if you drink because you want to conform to the world or be accepted by non-believing friends, then we need to have John 15 verse 19 in mind, which says you do not belong to the world. Uh, So stop trying to. (laughs) Thanks be to God, we belong to Jesus. And that's a whole lot better than belonging to the world. So this means we need to watch our witness as Christians who represent Jesus. Uh, hypocrisy silences the gospel, always does. Hypocrisy silences the gospel. Sometimes it's better not to drink so that you cannot be accused of getting drunk. It's one of those things, uh, uh, this is more to, to younger people, or people who use social media really. I'm always careful about what pictures of social media, uh, of, of me, go up on social media. I don't like pictures of me with a beer in my hand going on social media. Um, most people would think that means I'm drinking. In an Australian culture, that means I'm drinking to get drunk most of the time. So I'd rather have a picture of something else, holding a cat or a dog, for example. Um, okay, let's, um, let's, let's tie a few things together and conclude, and then we'll have a time for questions uh, and any sort of comments. Part of thinking Christianly about alcohol, though, is allowing the gospel to critique the society we live in. So as far as alcohol goes... Australian society has made it a god. 
Just as we've made gods out of wealth and success, power, career, sport and sex, uh, our society tells us it's impossible to have a real Aussie barbecue without a beer or it's impossible to have a proper dinner party without a glass of wine. That's what our society says. Our society tells us that getting drunk isn't a bad thing. It's funny even. We, we even make TV shows, if you've seen this recently, about stories of people getting drunk. A drunk History Australia. I'm glad to see it's being pushed later and later in the evening. It means it's been a bit of a failure. But that's the show on TV at the moment. Alcohol is an essential part of how Australian society defines itself. We are a nation of drinkers. Um, we even rate PMs by how or if they can scull a beer. Uh, we worship the god of alcohol, yet we are surrounded by its social cost. 500 people die every year from using heroin. Up to 7,000 die from using alcohol. The estimated economic cost of alcohol misuse to the Australian community, now this is a, a statistic that's 10 years old, I couldn't find anything more up to date, sadly, but the estimated cost of alcohol misuse in the Australian community is $36 billion. This takes into account um, not only the cost of alcohol abuse on people, but beyond just the drinker as well. So who's affected by the drinker? Only tobacco causes more drug-related deaths and hospitalisations in Australia than alcohol. Uh, and it's not hard to see the role alcohol plays in domestic violence, youth suicide, assaults and other major crimes. And you don't have to look far to see how alcohol consumption has decimated Indigenous communities in this country in a very short space of time. Our country has a serious problem and yet the silence, there's silence on the issue, especially from God's people. It's, it's deafening. So what will you do? What will we do as God's special possession, his royal priesthood, his holy nation? What will we do so that our deeds lead to glorifying God? I want to say start by asking God for wisdom in your consumption of alcohol. Consider how much you should drink. Consider if you should drink at all. And then stand in supportive fellowship with people who struggle with addiction. If Jesus is your Lord and Saviour, then together we worship the one true God who made heaven and earth, whom we call Father. A God who loves us so much that he didn't spare his only son, but sent him to die on a cross in order that you and I might know forgiveness and reconciliation with him and eternal life. And it is that love that you and I need to love one another with so that the person who does have a problem can expect their brothers and sisters in Christ to change their own behaviour in order to help and encourage. More than that, it is that love that needs to be shown not just to brother and sister but to our neighbour as well. And if for Christians like you and me, that means giving up a few beers, well, that's a very small price to pay. How about I pray and then um, have some time for questions or comments. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your, um, Lord, your love for us. Lord, may we show that love, the love that you gave your one and only son, may we show that love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. As children of God, your special possession, called to live holy lives. Uh, Lord, may our, our, this love that we, we, we have been shown, may that love 
Lord God, may that love um, uh, dictate and, and, and be demonstrated amongst the love that we show for other people as well. Uh, so much so that they would glorify God. Lord, we pray for anyone today who's struggling with alcohol and addiction to it. We pray, Lord, that today will be a day where, where, where progress is made. Addiction is something that's very difficult and, and can be, Lord, we know that can last a long time. But Lord, we pray that we'd turn to you, we would practice repentance, we'd hold on to grace and would commit to each other as your church. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.